0: Morning, everyone. My son just tried to, like, take off, and I had to catch him, and I'm like, my wrist doesn't move like that anymore, buddy. Oh, we got him. He's not so fast. Well, I'm happy to be back here with you for a second week. Uh, If you missed last Sunday, Pastor Jeff is out of town with Angie, and he's entrusted me with the responsibility of delivering the message, so we're going to be wrapping up our two-part series of evangelism. Before we go further, though, let's pray. Father God, humbly I ask for you to be on this message, that you will help us to hear what your Holy Spirit would have us hear. We thank you that we have the opportunity to grow together, to study your word together, I pray that this will be a time of encouragement, that we may go out into this world and share the good news. Amen. All right, so quick review. What is evangelism? It's the proclaiming of the character and the attributes and the deeds of Yahweh God. Uh, In other words, it's look at what God has done, I got to tell you about him. You have experienced something, you have um, come to know something through the scriptures, and you you just got to tell somebody, you you just got to show them who God is. And second, why is evangelism worth doing? I said it's because people not only need to know the good news, they instinctively want to know the good news. We all have a longing for the divine, which can only be filled by God. I made a pretty big claim last week, and that was that the attitude or or the practice of evangelism has roots throughout the Old Testament. And to back that up, we started in the third chapter of Genesis. We saw examples of how men and women throughout history, after experiencing the work of God firsthand, have felt compelled to tell others about him. You have Eve, Hagar, Abram, Moses, Hannah, the prophets. There is an undeniable thread from the very beginning— and you can trace it through Scripture throughout the Old Testament. It demonstrates our need to know God and our desire to tell others about him. This, this, this awe, this, this is amazing, I gotta tell you, what God has done. Humanity's search for who God is and, and what he's like culminated in the New Testament with the arrival of Jesus, who is the truest reflection of God Almighty because he himself is God. This isn't just something that we say because we want to say it. Uh, Philippians 2, 5-8, 2 Corinthians 8:9, First 1 Peter 2, 24. And so many other passages tell us that Jesus, he set aside his glory, he humbly took on the punishment for our sins, died on a cross, rose again, ascended into heaven with the promise that he would one day return. That is the good news. It is what the world needs to know. It, it's, it's been set up throughout the Old Testament— and then culminated in jesus you get you with me so far okay this shouldn't be new okay this all makes sense it's pretty easy to follow this this happened then this happened and then this happened okay god loves you you have been transformed and now you get to go tell others about the good news of jesus this 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 okay but as i said at the end of our time last week we often don't Participate in evangelism, and the reason why is because there are some pretty big hurdles that we let stop us from telling people about what God has done. I mentioned five of those possible hurdles. There's definitely more, but five of them were fear, being overwhelmed by too many people, being too busy, um, being unable to relate or connect with non-believers— and then the church's unfortunate lack of credibility with many in our culture. This morning we're going to talk about how we can be effective in evangelism, but first we're going to revisit those hurdles that we mentioned last week, and we're going to see what scripture suggests for how we can press on. Okay? Yes? Okay. I just gotta let you know, like, I'm used to like youth group, and there's a lot more give and take. So if, if I say raise your hand, like it's an invitation to raise your hand, okay? Hand up. See, it's like 40%, Craig. Like, you know. yeah. Alright. Sorry, I was talking to that, Craig. I realized that you're both in the line of sight here. <laughs> okay, anybody enjoy public speaking? Oh. <laughs> I can do it, and Sometimes I can even do it pretty well. But there is a moment or two before I begin when I have to remind myself to take a couple breaths in preparation. Public speaking on its own is not something that makes me anxious. It's a large part of my job after all. I've been doing this for a while. I'm fine with somebody saying, hey, get up and talk to people. I'm like, okay. Um, But it is something that I struggle with and that often causes me fear and apprehension. And many of you know this about me, but for those who don't, give you a little insight into Jared. I have a speech disorder. Around the time I was four years old, I was diagnosed with apraxia of speech. Childhood apraxia of speech, or CAS, it's a rare diagnosis. It's present from birth. It doesn't have anything to do with brain damage or differences in brain Um, structure, that's as opposed to acquired apraxia of speech, which can hit later in life, it can be from stroke, head injury, tumor, other illnesses. So all that to say is, I was born this way, it's just there. Having apraxia of speech means that there's often a short circuit in the transmission from my brain to my mouth. Uh, I know what I want to say, but my mouth often doesn't receive the instructions correctly. And annoyingly, this is inconsistent. It's not like a specific word or a specific sound is hard for me to say. It can affect any sound or any word for any reason at any point, it's very annoying. And, <coughs> yep, there it goes again. I'll say something correctly one moment, and then I'll try to say it again, and it's wrong. For example, I will often fumble around for the right sound attempting to Say a word or phrase several times before finally saying it correctly. It's like going over speed bumps. Sometimes it will affect my cadence or my rhythm of speech. Um, this means that my inflection of certain words or certain sounds will be inconsistent. I will pause randomly in the middle of words. These pauses can come across like I'm gathering my thoughts or that I'm forgetful or not paying attention. Other times people might assume that I've suddenly got defensive because I sound unsure of myself. But no, that's just my brain, not communicating correctly. Yay. Childhood apraxia of speech can, for some people, disappear over time, but at this point in my life, that is unlikely. As I've gotten older, I've learned how to deal with this disorder, and I joke about it openly with my students, I talk about it openly with all of you. At Youth Group, we agree that words are hard. We just say that for different reasons. Uh, I've thankfully figured out the types of situations that are likely to give me the most difficulty. For instance, if I'm tired or if I'm stressed or I'm put on the spot by someone, usually that is what's going to make my disorder more apparent suddenly. My wife is often able to point out when I'm overwhelmed before I realize it myself, because she'll notice that I'm struggling to speak. Or um, if I'm really tired, like we have a youth event and it's late at night and suddenly I'm like working 100% more at trying to say things. Now while some pastors outline their sermons, I do not. I write them out word for word, both for youth group and Sunday mornings. I have written out all of this My formatting is all over the place it is not ready for publication Um, there's there's weird dashes and quotes and all sorts of, of highlights and everything because i've written it how i want to say it right now as i'm speaking to you i'm simultaneously reading or referencing my manuscript i'm focused on whatever movements my lips and my tongue and my mouth are making I'm also trying my best to say the words that I'm wanting to say and I'm also trying to make eye contact. So I get the hurdle of fear. I understand the apprehension of talking to people and not wanting to screw up because I'm constantly trying to speak clearly even in regular conversation. This is just me. Kay? And I share my story not because I'm looking for sympathy, and I'm not looking for ideas on how to handle my, my disability, trust me, I have had lots of speech therapy. I share this in, or, in order to give you a little bit of a backstory as to why one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is Exodus 4, 10 through 12. Moses is at the burning bush. He is talking to God. God has—they've they, gone back and forth multiple times. Moses replied to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent either in the past or recently, or since you have been speaking to your servant, because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes a person mute or deaf, seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak. I will teach you what to say. You guys have seen Prince of Egypt, right? Like the classic animated, yeah. That scene, tears. Tears. Like, I'm just like, (laughs) me. Like, I love this interaction. Okay? Fear can be a big hurdle to evangelism. In Exodus 4, Moses is afraid. He doesn't want to go and tell his people about what he's experienced. He doesn't want to speak to Pharaoh or lead the Hebrew people out of slavery. God provides multiple miracles to help convince Moses that he'll be with him. Moses still pushes back he asks again for someone else to be sent, but his resistance at this point isn't because he doesn't know God's name or because he's worried that the people won't listen. That's all been addressed in this conversation, okay? He doesn't want this responsibility because he knows that he struggles to speak. Please, Lord, pick somebody else. Call someone who is a natural at public speaking, who can command attention. God, my mouth doesn't work right. I'm not the one for this task. And Moses faces a legit hurdle, one that I personally can understand very well. So even when I'm afraid or I'm stressed or I'm overwhelmed or Pastor Jeff asked me again to come give a sermon and I'm like, "Why?" I find myself thinking back to Exodus 4:11. Who made me? Who created me just as I am? who has still called me to ministry, even though my mouth doesn't work right. Yahweh. And if I truly believe he is in control, I can't let fear be a hurdle that stops me from sharing the good news. Whatever it is that you might be afraid of, that, that might be a barrier to evangelizing, to sharing the good news, God has put you in that place. He has given you what you need in order to share the truth about him, to share your story. Number two, we said it was too many people, um, or we feel overwhelmed with how many people there are out there. Better, perhaps a better way to think about this hurdle is compassion fatigue. Like you, I woke up last week to the headline that over 2,000 people died in the earthquake in Morocco. And a few did. Days later, another 6,000 died in flash floods in Libya, and that number is probably much, 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 much higher. There's fires in Hawaii, there's war in Ukraine, there is countless other issues around the world and in our own country. Emotional fatigue can make us numb, because we just see those headlines, and we see that news, and it keeps popping up, and we want to care, and it just becomes so much. And that's the hurdle. If we tune everything out, we can stop seeing evangelism as something that is worth doing. We just stop caring, and then we stop considering evangelism. Now, I'm not about to tell you to just get over it. There will be some points in your life when all you can do is rest in the arms of Jesus and nothing more. In those moments, you may be saying, I know God loves me. But I got nothing left in the tank I got nothing left to give I need a break We need to remember In those moments that it is okay to rest Look at what, Eli- what Happened to Elijah in 1 Kings 19 1-8, this is right after He and the prophets of Baal had gone at it You know the um, You make an altar, I'll make an altar Dance around and call down fire From heaven on, on that from your God And then nothing happens and Elijah makes fun of him them, and then Elijah does it, and God sends fire down from heaven, and it obliterates everything, including the stones. It's amazing. And then he puts all the prophets of Baal to death. Yay, Old Testament. (laughs) Um, So 1 Kings 19, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, so may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them. By this time tomorrow. Basically, I'm going to kill you. Then he was afraid. Yeah? And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb the mountain of God Elijah rested he was stressed he, he had a job to do and he's yeah he's stressed there's too much going on God took care of him in that moment he didn't scold him he didn't have an angel berate him ah get up get over it come on no Elijah rested. Then he got back to work. Of course, we can't forget the examples set by Jesus, who repeatedly would step out or step away from the crowds during his earthly ministry to spend time in prayer. Uh, Luke 5.16, Mark 6.46, other areas. If even our Savior did that, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we feel that we have the the freedom to go to God, say, God, I need rest. I I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Maybe it is all the, the stuff happening in the world, or maybe it's just something that's happening in your life. Instead of freezing up when we face compassion or emotional fatigue, or worse, ignoring that, and by extension, ignoring the call to evangelism, I encourage us to take time to rest, and refocus on God. It might even be that you staying faithful will be the most impactful way to engage in evangelism. That you just staying faithful to God is the thing that people need to see. People need to see your reliance on the Savior even when life is hard. And often that is the best testimony you can give. Todd, I did not ask you ahead of time, but I gotta tell you, like how you have remained faithful through your cancer journey, has I got no words like it has yeah I got no words it it has affected me in a way I never thought possible so thank you for your testimony of staying faithful number three with all of our responsibilities pulling us in all the various directions it's easy to push evangelism off to the side Usually when we talk about being busy, it's often combined with the topic of money and wealth, and for good reason. Jesus did talk a lot about such things. For instance, Matthew 6, 19-21, says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." The topic of money and wealth—that that could be a whole nother sermon or twelve. Okay, yes, treasure can mean money, but the Greek here—the Greek word here—refers also to the idea of a storehouse or a collection of things seen as valuable. It's not necessarily gold; it's whatever is treasured, whatever is collected. Okay. And if there is anything in our Western culture that is easy for anyone across any spectrum to idolize, it is stuff and self. That is our treasure. Instead of just talking about money then, what is the underlying thing that can drive us to be so obsessive about stuff and self that we become too busy for evangelism? I would say that's comfort. We're often too busy because we want to be comfortable. We want what we want when we want it. That is what we treasure. And We'll give God a little bit of time on Sunday mornings, maybe even one night a week, but the rest of the time, we're gonna be focused on our thing. We're gonna be working hard to try and make ourselves comfortable and happy. I am not saying that it's automatically a sin to focus on those things, to, to work hard to provide for your family, for example. That's, that's not a problem. You should provide for your family. Okay? But it's important to be aware that our busyness has the potential to stop us from showing the love of God to others, to stop us from telling them about the good news, because we are so focused on our thing that we miss the opportunity to evangelize. And we'll miss it even with those that we are closest to. Many years ago, you wouldn't know them, it was not here. I had a student's parent come to me looking for advice. Their teen was part of my youth group sometimes, whenever they'd show up. And this teen was struggling with some stuff, and this parent didn't know what to do. So they came to me and asked for a meeting, and and we're talking about things. When I asked how their household was, was doing spiritually, this parent's response was, We don't have time for that Jesus stuff at home. That's why I bring them here to youth group. I wish I was making this up, but that is a direct quote. This parent was also a very vocal Christian. Like, hardcore all the time talking about Jesus. At least at church. I gently tried to point out how much time I had with their teen versus them. Like, maybe two hours a week, if they showed up on time, and if they showed up at all. I didn't point out that that they were rarely there, but (laughs) um, they knew. That two hours a week is nothing in comparison to the opportunities that this parent had at home to reinforce spiritual habits. But I was brushed aside. They had sports, and work schedules, and vacations. And really, if I could just do a lesson or two on having a good attitude, then that would probably fix the problem. So please, Jared, just, just do a lesson on attitudes. Yeah, that'll fix it. Friends, our busyness does not bring true happiness. And even though we have good intentions, it can become a huge hurdle to evangelism. This parent I know loved their kid. They bent over backwards to provide for their their student and multiple kids. But in the process of all of their busyness and all of their focus on all these other things, they're missing the opportunity right in front of them to demonstrate the love of Jesus to their own children. Demonstrating and telling others about God, especially in our own families, it has to be a priority everyone else out there is chasing the same treasure of personal comfort so when they look at our busyness and they see virtually no difference between them and us aside from our sunday mornings being already spoken for why would they think that we have the answer to their deepest longing we're no different from the world in our busyness they're just like eh, i want to sleep in on sundays makes it really hard to evangelize If your schedule is too busy for a lifestyle of evangelism, that is a problem. Number four was um, not being able to relate to the culture around us. And this hurdle ties pretty directly into the methodology of evangelism, so let's dig in here. Um, I grew up in a stereotypical 90s, early 2000s church kid home. We went to Christian schools, we went to church every week. like every week. I don't care if you're sick or not. You are going to church. Um, Went to Christian schools, shopped at Christian bookstores, wore Christian t-shirts, watched Christian movies, read Christian books and magazines, listened to Christian music. It was a bubble. Like Pokemon, what is that? I got VeggieTales. Like, I got my own little thing right here. And I remember the first big realization that I had when I understood that I did not understand the non-Christian world. And it was at the public pool around the time I was in eighth or ninth grade. I was hanging out with my family and our church friends. We had this one spot we would always go to, like these chairs were ours. It was set up and we were in this corner. Um, A song came on the radio, started to be played over the speaker that I knew, or at least I thought I knew. And I started singing along and became very confused very quickly because the words that I knew were different. And this was because I had forgotten that my parents had bought like seven CDs from this band named Apologetics, with an X at the end, so you knew that it was really cool. Um, They made Bible parodies of of hit songs, and I had memorized their lyrics instead of the actual lyrics. So when the song came on, I love rock and roll, I was singing, I love the Apostle Paul. (laughs) He put a lot of lines in the good book, Baby. It's funny now, but at the time, it was super weird. I remember sitting, I'm like, what is this? (laughs) I don't, I don't hold that against my parents. The fact that I was able to grow up in a Christian household that was rooted in the gospel, to see the love of Jesus every day, that is something that not everybody gets. I love my parents. I love the way that I grew up. But also, (laughs) that was super weird. Um, be in the world, not of it, right? That's a, that's a phrase that's well known. It's not a verse in the Bible, but it does echo what is talked about in a few places. And Jesus prayed in John 17, 14 through 16. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then Paul told the Ephesian Christians in chapter 4 of his letter, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Yes, we are different from those who follow the ways of this world. Our king is Jesus. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Okay. You knocked the microphone off my face. All right. Now, one might think that it's an acceptable approach to evangelism, um, or one acceptable approach to evangelism would be to simply live separately. Let the world come to us when they're curious. We'll be here, and when they are curious, they'll just naturally come through the doors. I humbly disagree. I believe that based on the scripture that we've looked at over the past two weeks and many more passages that we have not had time to look at, we have a clear responsibility and calling to go and tell others about the good news. To demonstrate the love of Jesus with our actions to everybody and not just be like, you come to us and then we might tell you to listen to the pastor. Engaging with our culture can be intimidating and— if done incorrectly can cause serious harm to your own spiritual walk okay if in your efforts to evangelize you lose sight of the gospel you're you're doing this wrong okay remember when you are engaging with the world that you are not you are no longer of this world okay that your hope is in jesus So if you need to separate yourself from specific things in our culture in order to remain faithful to God, do so. If you can't handle the other, the music, and you gotta listen to apologetics with an X because it's cool, then do that. I'm not mocking it, okay? If, If you need something else to help you stay focused on God, do that because that is most important. But... If you have the maturity of faith to hold on to the Savior while still being present in the world, then be like Jesus, who famously spent time with the sinners, even though the Pharisees were majorly against it. He spent time with those who were lost, didn't let their sin corrupt him. He stood in their midst, and he called them to holiness. If you have the maturity of faith to do that, do that! Instead of saying, you should come to my church and listen to my pastor. I'll drink coffee. Live a life that points others to Jesus and make sure it is life that they actually can see. Number five was lack of credibility. I mentioned the unfortunate fact that churches don't have the credibility in our culture that we once enjoyed. With people generally distrusting of churches and Christians, evangelism is quite difficult. It's a hurdle that we all face. And it's easy to bemoan this, this loss of authority and blame the world for turning from Jesus, but rarely do we take a good look in the mirror and ask ourselves if we're at least part of the reason why this has happened. Now, I can't speak for all traditions of Christianity, so let's just consider the recent track record of evangelicals. That's, we're evangelicals, that's how I grew up, this is the world that I know. Okay. I'm say- saying royal we here. Not not the witty-free. I'm saying, you get it? So before you get upset, understand. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody in this room. We elevate big mega churches that have zero accountability, who then start getting super weird, and then there's nobody to rein them in. We promote platforms of individual pastors because they're the guy that everyone needs to listen to, so make sure you... Tune into his YouTube channel and his podcast and do this and do that. We tangle with politics and behave just as nasty as everybody else. We borderline worship celebrities if they claim to share our faith. And then we belittle anybody who doesn't like them as much as we do. And without stating it, we're expecting the big churches with the big budgets and the preachers with sneakers and the favorite politicians, and the popular Christian celebrities to be the ones most responsible for evangelism. Almost as if we think that if we can amplify them to be even louder, then we can just sit back, we can continue to focus on the pursuit of our own personal comfort. We'll let the big voices talk about Jesus. I'm just going to do my thing. And when those chosen few fall and fall hard, it has a ripple effect on how the world sees the body of Christ. Let alone when we start, like, gossiping about other believers and other churches on social media, and we're airing out dirty laundry of of the Christian body, of the body of Christ, and then the non-believers can see that we're all bickering, again and again and again this happens sexual abuse, financial theft, bullying, church splits. And instead of condemning this behavior, most of us just continue to bicker and complain, and we pick sides and act just as spiteful as those who don't have the hope of Jesus. And then we act surprised and offended when the world tunes us out. We've become a hurdle to evangelism that is of our own making. It is horrible some of the things that have happened in the name of Jesus in churches and that people then start pointing to and be like, oh, that's what Christians are like. like. No, that's not. It's only because that was bad. But Please don't lump me in with all of them. I, ha- I hate it. I, oh, it brings me so much anger. Like like Righteous rage every time I see a news article about another youth pastor who is screwed up by doing something that he shouldn't be doing, I'm like, man, it is hard enough to do this job and to gain the trust and the ability to go into the schools and to speak to kids and to connect with parents and then for some yahoo to start doing bad stuff. It is a hurdle of our own making. And We've got to say, no, that is not holiness. That is not righteousness. So how do we do this thing? How do we, in light of all these barriers, how do we do evangelism? Specifically, how do we do it effectively? First, make, your motiva- make sure your motivation is in check. Even from the days of the early church, there has been the temptation to do Christian things for our own glory. Acts 1, 5, no, not Acts 1, Acts 5, 1 through 11, tells a very unnerving story of a couple couple who sold property and then donated the proceeds to the apostles uh, for the sake of the church. But they secretly held back a portion and made the claim that they were giving 100% away to the church. Ananias and Sapphira could have easily said, hey, we sold this property, we want to give 60% to the church, the other 40% we're going to keep for us because we need it, Um, But here's 60%. But no. They made the claim that they gave all of it, and they lied. They wanted the praise from others for giving it all away, so they lied not only to the church, but to God. And then they paid the ultimate price for it. There are often those who go and do the showy evangelism thing just to get praise from others. I was once arguing with a fellow classmate of mine way back in the day, and uh, I can't Not sure exactly what we were arguing about, but I know that suddenly he got super defensive and changed the topic to missions, and I was just like, what? Um, Because we were not talking about missions, and suddenly he's like, well, how many mission trips have you gone on? And like his chest popped out. and I'm like, one? I'm like 19, and poor family, and I went to Mexico and built some houses, and it was awesome. What are we talking about? Well, I've been on six, and a few of those were for more than a month. Have you been to India? I've been to India. And I'm like, what are we talking about? Suddenly he just, he thought that that would make his case, that he's done things for the kingdom, and that's something that he should brag about? It's Very weird. Our own glory is not why we share the good news. If you're evangelizing for you, you're doing it wrong. second, Use methods that are heard. If no one is hearing you, or worse yet, hearing the wrong message, you're not being effective. What is the point of standing on the street corner with a sign or talking through a megaphone in the middle of a crowd if nobody is paying attention or is dismissive of the good news that you're trying to share? Well, I did the evangelism thing like Pastor said, now I can get back to my own thing. One of the days I was in Sweden, we were walking through um, a big, wasn't like city center, but it was like the big area. There's like hundreds of people milling about a block away. I heard megaphone, and it was in English. I'm like, hello. Um, I don't know why that was a British accent. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was like, hey, I know those words. And it's like, Jesus, sin, sin. And I'm like, "Ooh, hello!" And we round a corner, and nobody's listening—not a single person. It's great that they're that they're proclaiming the name of Jesus. It's great that they're they're sharing the news, but nobody's listening. Everyone's go doing their own thing. Now, has this approach worked in the past? Absolutely, of course. There are are huge names in the faith that have had a huge impact. You know, Billy Sunday, Billy Graham, just to name some that are somewhat recent, okay? But in our world today, it is far from the most effective method, and it's more like a telemarketer making a cold call. Because we've become very good, and by we, I mean in general, all people, we are very good at tuning out noise and ignoring pop-up ads on our phones and computers. If we're not like 100% focused on a thing, we do not see it or hear it, we don't want to see it or hear it, okay? So stop thinking the same old approach is going to work just as well now as it once did. If the point of evangelism is to proclaim the goodness and and the deeds of God, you want people to hear it. The methods we use to communicate the good news of Jesus need to be applicable. They need to be understandable by our audience in order to be effective. The, The message, I really need you to hear this, the message and the truth of the gospel does not change. Yes? Okay. We're not changing the message of the gospel. You tweak how you're you're communicating it sometimes because culture has changed, but the the truth of, of Scripture, the righteousness of Jesus, has not changed and will never change. Okay? Third, walk the walk, or don't rely on external stuff to prove the internal transformation that's taking place. You gotta show it with your life. You can't just rely on other stuff. We know from scripture that we have been transformed and are no longer the same as we were before we came to Jesus. But instead of letting that light shine, many try to take the easy way out and hope that how they dress or where they worship or what icons they surround themselves with will be enough to do the evangelism for them and they don't have to actually say anything remember how I mentioned last week the guy who I talked to, this was 2006 downtown Portland during Day of Outreach he pulled out a cross necklace, he put the other necklaces back in that were from other religions, but he pulled out the cross necklace, you remember this? yeah? okay, did wearing that necklace with a cross on it prove that he was a follower of Jesus? probably not I mean I don't know, I don't know like his personal story between him and, and God, that's between him and God but just because he was wearing that and all the other <laughs> necklaces from other religions did not make him a believer. If so, if, if wearing a cross is all you needed, then good news. We got four crosses on the outside of our building, and we got another in the stairwell. So that must mean that we're all covered, right? That anybody who enters the building is, is, is Christian? No. Well, maybe... Maybe it's the specific style of church building. I mean, this place is, is nice. It's pretty multi-purpose. Um, but for centuries, steeples have been a thing. Maybe that's what we need to really get the attention of our community, to let them know that we are Jesus people, right? Got to have a big old steeple, okay? We'll talk to the leaders. We'll, we'll get one up there and, you know, bigger than St. Joe's. No. Banners... Flags, different worship music, oh, fog machine. That's the thing, right? That's, that's what all the cool churches are doing, okay? No, wait, we're gonna get rid of all these chairs. Pews, really uncomfortable wooden pews. There's nothing holier than pews. then everybody who comes in here will know that we're definitely Christians. Or maybe it's a big mural or some iconography. Is any of that what will ultimately prove to the world that you're a Christian? Not according to Jesus. John 13, 34, and 35. I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now this command has two layers. One, on one hand, we are called to love our fellow Christians. Yes, even the ones that we don't like the ones that we argue with, we are called to love them, okay? But we are also called to love other people. Over and over again, what I see in all the documentaries and news articles and exposés about churches and pastors and Christian celebrities who have fallen from grace is a lack of love for others. They have lots of love for self, love for their brand and image, love for their own traditions, love for growth, love of success, but not love Like Jesus loved. The same Jesus who said, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. We are part of the kingdom of God. Everyone is, is so divided out there, where they're assuming the worst about everybody. But in here, the body of Christ must be different. We got to love sacrificially and humbly, just like our Savior loved. And we have to show it with our actions, Not waiting for other people to come in the doors, not relying on like a cross that's on our shirt and be like, yep, this is a new shirt. Got it at the Christian bookstore. Mm -hmm. That's not going to show people that we're Christian if our actions aren't backing it up. If we're not showing it with our actions, our evangelism efforts are going to fall flat. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? That he is the fullest, truest, (coughs) best reflection of God. And the only way for your soul to find what it has been truly longing for. Do you believe that through him, you have been reconciled with your creator? That his death and resurrection conquered sin in the grave and served as the ultimate sacrifice? Then do something with that faith. Share it freely. As James said, James 2, 14 and 19. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? You believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. As it says in Isaiah 52, the efforts of those who evangelize, of those who bring the good news, is nothing less than beautiful. This has always been the case. It always will be the case. So, go. Live a life that is holy and pleasing to God. One that is saturated in the lifestyle of evangelism. The the inability to ignore the drive to tell other people about the goodness of God. Tell others of all that he has done for you. Show them the love of Jesus through your actions. That is evangelism. That is how you will be most effective. Let's pray. Father, your word is encouraging, but also cuts deep. I pray that as we move on from today that we will be that we will be ready to show your love. Whether it is how we're driving on the road or how we're treating people in line at a restaurant, if it is the conversations we're having with family or coworkers, I pray that you will Help us to be ready at any moment to be able to give a reason for the hope that is in us, to be able to show it with our actions, the way that we live, that Jesus has changed us, that we are a new creation. In your holy son's name we pray.